Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. I never believed that I'd be on this stage today talking to you about God, but here I am. But trusting in God's plan is the best thing that we can do. In 2020, I was actually approached by our former children's pastor, Teacher Annette, and was asked if I wanted to be a part of children's ministry. My response was yes, because how could you ever say no to your children's pastor? That seems extremely wrong. But the truth of the matter was, is I was scared. I was terrified. I had no experience teaching, let alone working with kids. How is this going to work? Little did I know that months down the line, I would be running children's church with my sister, having the time of my life. Sometimes God's plan isn't what you're expecting. And my first verse says this, Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Fast forward about a year and a half later, I get a text message from our current youth pastor, Janice, asking to get some coffee. And I was like, let's do it. I don't drink coffee, but this seems fun. (laughs) It was there where she asked me if I wanted to be a youth leader. And I honestly couldn't believe my ears. And in my head, I was saying, God, what are you doing? I was dealing with five-year-old kids about a year ago, and now you want me to teach kids my own age? Are you joking? Well, standing on this stage, I think you can guess what my answer ended up being. But that didn't change the doubt and uncertainty that I had to becoming a youth leader. But God's plan never fails. Even when you think you're not the best or the most qualified, God will use your unique and special gifts that he's gifted each and every one of you with, to help better his kingdom. We are all children of God, and we are all precious in his eyes. My second verse comes out of Psalm 32.8, and it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Look, the journey that God's plan takes you on may be bumpy, With twists and turns and jumps and falls. And pretty soon, all you want to do is hear that Disneyland lady saying, Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the car at all times. And it's sure to watch those children. But it's our job as Christians to stay in that bumpy twist and turns ride and proclaim the name of the Lord. My final verse is actually my favorite verse comes out of Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to him, and he shall make your path straight. Always believe in God's plan. He knows what's best for you, even in what stage of life you're in. He's always there for you, even in the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. 
Always trust and believe in God's plan. Now, I would like to introduce the next handsome man coming to you to talk to you about God's plan, Mr. Connor Moore. Well, thank you for that uh, beauty of an introduction right there. Um, This is definitely not in my wheelhouse, but here we are. So I will actually be talking about um, not not feeling qualified to follow through with God's plan, which obviously I'm up here right now, and yeah, that very much describes what I'm feeling right now. Uh, So anyways, I want to pick us back up where uh, Hayden left us at. So as we've seen, God has a plan for all of us, and he has something for each and every one of you. But as I've just said, some of us have a rough time with feeling qualified um, when we're asked by God to do something. And, you know, sometimes we let that fear, we let that, um, you know, disappointment, struggles, all of that, we let that get in the way of following through with God's plan. So, obviously, like I have been here now, God likes to put you in positions that you don't feel qualified for. Uh, so I actually wanted, so we're going to open up our Bibles right now, or you can close out of Instagram if you're on your phone. But, uh, so before we get into it, so many of you might know, many of you don't know, Pastor Bruce likes to draw his own cartoons. He's a really good cartoon artist. So I figured that I might try to figure out how to do that. And it looks, it looked better on my computer than up there, but <laughs> anyway, we'll get into this. So first I want to set the stage before we get into our uh, reading today. So in this passage, we have Moses talking to God. Uh, after he was instructed to gather all the elders of Israel uh, to get together and ask the king of Egypt uh, if he would allow them to go on a three-day journey out into the wilderness to uh, offer sacrifices and just worship the Lord. But as we all know, he's a very hard-hearted uh, king, and so he would need a mighty hand to compel him. So in this passage, God is instructing Moses to, on how to convince the king to allow them to go into their journey. So I'll be, again, reading from the NIV. You can take that down now. (laughs) Um, 4 verse 1. All right, let's get started. So Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses, Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside of your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. Uh, It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it back out, it was restored, just like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe the two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood upon the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Relatable. Uh, the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? 
Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said once again, pardon your servant, Lord, please send somebody else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well, and he is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words into his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and he will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be said as if it was your mouth, as if it, as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand, and you can perform the signs with it. So, uh, just for sake of time, I'm skipping to verse 10, because that kind of supports a lot of what we're talking about right now. So, that's the first time where Moses uh, pretty much says, I don't want to do it. I don't feel qualified for this. And it says, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. So here we see Moses already making excuses, as many of us probably are relate to. And he says that he pretty much doesn't know how to speak correctly. But God immediately responds by telling Moses to remember who created his mouth and his tongue. If God sees you fit for a circumstance, then you're plenty capable of fulfilling it. Uh, now, most of us would assume that Moses would agree to fulfill God's wish, but he was not fully convinced. As we see uh, a few paragraphs down, he then says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. So now God gets angry with him because he disobeyed him. He wants, to, he wants him to go do this for him. So instead, he sends his brother as an interpreter. Oftentimes, we let little handicaps, insignificant things, anxiety, and other things be the deciding factor of what we think God wants for our lives. When in reality, you may have skills, qualifications, and gifts you wouldn't even know you possessed. And had you listened to that fear, that doubt, you would never find it out. So I'll just share briefly about my experience with this. Um, so back October 2020, many of you know, I went, to, or 2021, excuse me, summer, I went to go work Utah uh, as a youth intern. And that was a hard decision to make because I wanted my summer pretty much is the best way to put it. I mean, I was a senior. So October 2020, I was approached by Jeff Hubrick, which is uh, one of the pastors there. And he asked me about it. And at first I seriously questioned it because, you know, I didn't want to do it really. I really didn't want to do it. Um, But I gave it a lot of prayer and I started realizing that's exactly what he wanted me to do. There was no other decision. And then I was reminded of something that God had uh, put into my brain, my heart, early, early on that year, probably about three months earlier. So October 2020, during youth group, we were asked a series of questions. And the first question was something about, um, if have you ever had a testimonial experience? Do you have an experience in your life where you can share about? And I didn't. And the second question was, ask God if you're willing to give you that experience. And then, you know, two, three months later, I was approached by Jeff. So, total God thing there. But if I wasn't to choose to do that, a lot of people would not have been impacted. We ended up baptizing four people, uh, four of my, you know, some of the closest students to me. So, that was really good to see. Um, So yeah, in this prep for this Sunday, I was going through some devotionals, and I had a quote in one of them that I felt was really important. I wanted to share it. I think I might have it up there. Yeah, no. Um, Anyway, uh, it says, if you are qualified to receive any and every, you are qualified to receive any and every blessing from God, not because of what you have done, but based on what Jesus has done for you. It's easy, it's really easy to tell God that you aren't meant for something if he wants you to do it. 
It's easy to let the fear blind you um, from what what he's asked you to do. But nothing will be as uncomfortable as dying on a cross, bearing the burden of everybody's sin. But that's what Jesus did for us, so we should be willing to um, do what God asks us if Jesus was willing to. Remember, if God is prompting you to do something, even if you don't feel like you meet the standard of excellence, he knows you're qualified and he will give you the gifts and the skills necessary to see his plan through. Romans 12, 6 says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is service, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, lead diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do so cheerfully. God gives us these gifts in order to see his plan through. Be wary of letting your human nature tell you that you can't do it. Don't let it overpower because he is greater than that. Um, Because God has a lot in store for your life. And just know that if he asks you to do something, you're already qualified for it. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and invite on our next speaker, Kurt. All right, good morning. Um, by a, I was doing the math, in a fairly significant margin, I'm the oldest voice that you'll be hearing today. So as I guess as evidenced by my graduation Bible that this church gave me back in 09. So I'm dating myself there. Um, well, I'm going to kind of continue on that same line of thought, but in a more specific, um, I guess, direction than that, uh, building on kind of a little bit that passage in Romans that just came down off the uh, screen there. But we're going to be, for the most part, digging into uh, two passages because I know that the, the wisest voice, in spite of me being about 11 years older than either of the two guys who just spoke, the wisest voice that we can hear would be one that was written in Scripture. So that would be, in this case, we're going to hear from Peter and we're going to hear from uh, Paul as we uh, dig through a couple of letters from the New Testament. Um, so up to this point, we've kind of heard a, a specific version of of God's will in that when God speaks to us, we answer that call. He has a plan for us. Um, and there is a will that God has laid out for us in the absence of hearing his voice specifically that directs how we are to live. And so I'd like to dig through two specific questions that kind of get into the, the point of that. Um, what is God's will for us generically? And can we miss it if we don't hear the spirit? And uh, you'll notice on a couple of slides that I've got put up there, I've got some imagery that there's a little bit of a reason for. And if you can dig into that, I might mention a couple of them, but try to see why I've got certain pictures up there. In this case, there's a fork in the road. I mean, you got a decision. What is it that you do in that decision that would be according to God's will, that is a righteous decision? And is there a way to mess that up if you're not hearing God's answer to how you should be pursuing your life? Sometimes he speaks a specific plan. I mean, we just heard about Moses getting a specific plan. We heard Connor getting direct instruction in a a series of events that led him to go to Utah. And if that's the case, and you don't follow that specific speech that God has given to you, that through his word, through prayer, an audible voice you hear, that's in opposition to God's will. There's no way around that. And an example of that would be Jonah when he heard specifically do something. He said, no, not going to do it. took off. And ended up God had a plan and his will was enforced upon Noah or uh, Jonah, sorry, upon Jonah. I don't know if I said Jonah the first time I meant to Um, enforced upon Jonah forcibly, right? By a storm, a fish, like eventually he ended up there. And that was something that 
Jonah, living outside of God's will in that moment, was corrected upon. Um, today I want to dig into, is there a will for us if we don't hear that direction specifically? And some preliminary context leading into this conversation, um, I know that ultimately there's more than we can cover, and I've I've gone 14 years as an adult here, and this is my first opportunity to spend 10 minutes and select the number of things I want to say for the number of minutes I've been given. It's a very high discrepancy. Um, but to give a bit of background as quickly and efficiently as we can, the Bible outlines God's truth. It outlines how to live righteously. It outlines the behavior, the characteristics of a Christ follower through Old Testament, through New Testament. God's character is displayed, and we are asked to replicate that, to manifest those qualities in our life daily, right? And that's the process of seeking, following, becoming more like Jesus. In New Testament terms, that's called sanctification, right? The process of becoming like Christ is sanctifying. That is God's initial plan for us. In that process, we... And that's a, that's a basically a, a, core ten, a core tenet of some of the New Testament letters. But he provides us strength and guidance to how to live righteously as we are becoming sanctified. And that's the foundation of his will. So with that context there, sometimes he speaks his specific will into us, but if he doesn't, what does that look like? So I want us to first start with First uh, Peter 2, 11 through 15. Um, for the sake of time, I've kind of pulled the sections out without removing any of the value of what the contextual information is. Um, so we'll start off with this one and then kind of dig a little bit into some of the background behind this. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, that you may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or the supreme authority or to the governors who, are, who he sends to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. A specific line that I want to pull from this is going to be on screen momentarily. Um, it says, is our salvation based on works? No. Should salvation initiate changes that become evident to those around us? Absolutely. That's the process of sanctification. If we are a believer in God and we are following Jesus and we don't show changes, not only is that not what we're called to do, it's also in some ways counterproductive and even detrimental to God's will for our lives. Um, Just a moment while I switch pages here. Uh, A trick that I'll let you guys in on some of the... Uh, one of the pastors do regularly. Uh, what we normally what we do is we put our notes in our Bible, so it looks like we're just reading out of the Bible. But we actually have papers on there. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to print it like a book, where it'd be like I had to reorder, so I had to actually switch whole pages here. So, in this case, a faith that does not manifest itself and changes its hypocrisy can lead people away from Christ, not towards Him. Um, for context of that passage that we just read through in First Peter. Um, like historically surrounding that letter being written. It was about 64 AD, according to the best estimates of various scholars. There's a wide range of, of possibilities, but the most likely outcome is it was about 64 AD, which was 10 years into the reign of Emperor Nero. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that name, um, he is one of the most egregious rulers of the Roman world in terms of how he treated Christians and subjects in general, but specifically Christians. There's not enough time to get into the heinous acts that he committed. 
Ten years into that rule, about four years from the end of it, one of the capstoning impacts that Nero had on the Christian church was the execution of Peter. And if you know the story, he wasn't, he did not feel worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus, so they crucified him upside down. Um, in that passage, he said, submit to authority. A whole bunch of other things, right? Like, live a set apart. Don't behave like the pagans do. Let your life be a witness. Um, but submit to authority. And in that, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't identify that even underneath the worst of rulers, Peter implored us to still live under the authority of those rulers. But there was a limit to that that limit, that, that uh, statement there. He did not submit to Nero's authority above God's. And that's evidenced by his execution. If he had submitted to Nero, he wouldn't have been killed. I mean, my, my assumption being in that case, right? There must have been some sort of defiance where there was a contradiction between what God had asked of him and what the emperor had asked of him. And you, in that moment, you have to choose. The righteous choice would be to choose what God has asked you to do. And I don't know the whole context surrounding what, you know, led to that in, in terms of specifics, but there was a contradiction with what Nero had asked of him, the emperor had asked of him. Um, to kind of build on that, I'm going to do the a, a part of a verse. And I had a youth leader when I was in my days as a, a youth uh, long ago who in, ingrained a phrase in my mind, and I'm sure you guys have heard it as he preaches. But I've got an image of 15 years or so, or so ago, John, who this is the guy that spoke these words to me. This is a picture of my past. A text without a context is a pretext. Um, and so I want to, with that said, pull the first part of a single verse out of uh, Romans 12, Romans 12 two, the first half of it, which conveniently was a verse at Heartland, since those who have already mentioned, we had a uh, Kaylin give a little bit of a, a video about her time at Heartland. All of the youth should know this verse. This isn't a surprise. Um, there's not really any context we miss. This is the first part of that, of that chapter and the context that follows Connor already kind of covered. So I'm not really breaking the rule that John established, but. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that kind of solidifies that idea of in order to set yourself apart from the world, you have to be transformed and demonstrate that transformation. I've got an image of a butterfly, and if you look at what it's hanging from, it's newly emerged. It's got the wings haven't even stretched out and become stiff yet, um, coming out of its chrysalis, which is a a cocoon for specific It's entomology. It has demonstrated transformation that is visible to those around it, the same way that we are called to demonstrate a transformation visible to those around us. And so that was the imagery of, of this little background slide here. Um, believing and not displaying the characteristics of God and the changes he has made in our lives is to not complete his will for us. We have to be able to demonstrate the love of Christ, the truth of Christ, the righteousness that is, as a as an, an attempt to, and not even as an attempt to, but it's just as an outflowing of God's love for us and his grace for us. But with the outcome being that we are able to show that to those around us so that they ask what's going on. Um, there's a, and I'm going to switch over to my, my second large passage here, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians, the second half of the first chapter. Um, 1, 18 through 31 is is my all-time favorite passage and I made a note here. One of my, my uh, friends who works in ministry said, anything you want to say, word for word, put it in blue. Why is it so good? You can read it multiple times and still be confused. 
And that means there's a lot that's there to instruct us and to unpack. And I've pulled just the second half of it, but I would encourage each of you for the sake of time, I can't read it and go through, but start at verse 18 and read through. It was so impactful on me in a time, to me in a time um, when there were formative years as going through college. Uh, it kind of speaks, I'll get a little bit back, back a little bit. It kind of speaks toward how to be, how to stand in opposition to a prideful world that thinks it knows everything. And for lack of a better way to say it. And going through college in the sciences, I was in a biology major. The first thing they do to you is they say, there's no God. And they drill it into you, right? Your goal is to think outside of supernatural possibilities. And it sounds so articulate and logical. And this passage breaks down why that is in no way comparable to God's wisdom. And it's such an impactful thing that there was a dream that associated itself with this for me that was just, it shifted my whole perspective. I want to read the second half of it because it applies to not feeling equipped and how that's actually a, a positive for enhancing God's witness. So we'll dig right into it. It says, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that, you, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'd like to invite the worship team back up as I, I give a little bit of a summative statement, putting this all into my own, my own words of what, from the instruction that we've been provided by the teachers of the New Testament, what God's will is for us. From the Great Commission down, we are called to spread the gospel to all. Each of us has a place, a set of gifts, a sphere of influence assigned to us to work the the calling by living a righteous, loving, uncompromising life to reach those around us as is God's will. We can't live outside God's will if if we're seeking God, making decisions in righteousness, and being a light to those around where God takes us. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.